Hey listeners, Lex on the Decks here. Before you get stuck into this episode of Hot Girls, I wanted to let you know about something else you may be interested in. Though Hot Girls in its podcast format isn't releasing new episodes any longer, if you head over to my Substack, which is lexonthedecks.substack.com, you'll find more interviews and insight on gender minority artists and how to overcome any barriers to entry. You'll also get the opportunity to sign up to my weekly newsletter, Five Good Things. This is an email letter which will land in your inbox on Fridays, sharing five of my favourite cultural or creative discoveries of the week. You'll find all that on lexonthedex.substack.com. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Hot Girls. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I never stressed about music at all. It was always second nature to me. I'd always just made it and it always just seemed to be fine. All of a sudden it changed in an instant. But as soon as Noisy posted that thing, music became something different to me. And I think probably the easiest way for me to explain from where I am, where I was then to now, is that I think that this process has just been me trying to find my way back to what music was to me initially. Hello and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Lex on the Decks. This is the podcast that explores the creative process and also the mechanics of the music industry to understand how you have success in it and ultimately address the gender imbalance that currently exists within it. This week, fresh off the back of his colours show and his appearance on Charlie Sloth's Fire in the Booth, I'm joined by Jelani Blackman. Jelani's journey through music has been so interesting. I found this conversation really fascinating and really insightful. We talk a lot and he kind of demonstrates through his own career the importance of timing, the importance of things blowing up at the right time for you. Um, We also talk a lot about relationship with a producer and how fundamental that can be on an artist, like getting to the right sound, getting to something that feels right for them. Jelani's got a load of new music on the way. So Definitely, if you enjoy this conversation, check him out on socials and definitely watch his colour show. It's super high energy. Um, high recommend. Okay, let's go. Ladies, gentlemen. Listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls. With Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. Keep it going. We on fire. From London for the world. Let's go in. We good? Yeah, we're good. We good. I wanted to ask about colours, because he did that recently. I did do that recently. And how was that? It was really, really good. Like it was sick. I loved it. It's something I've wanted to do for a while. And I feel like it just it just came at the right time really because everything else is moving in the right direction. It kind of was sparked off from a moment in lockdown. Yeah, it was sick. 
I miss performing as well. So I just, I was like. Yeah, it was quite performancey, your energy on it. The important questions. Do you get to pick your colour? No. No. They obviously know what they're looking for. So they're like, yeah, yeah, suggest. But like, <laughs> we'll do the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, red, we uh, hear you. This is it, it's green. <laughs> and you decided, so you didn't try and like co-order your outfit because some people, their outfit literally matches their background. Like I had a colour on my outfit that I felt would match the track and the vibe of the tune but what they chose I feel like was better so again it was clearly just them knowing <laughs> knowing what they're doing there for longer so they know what they're talking about like, they know what they're doing yeah cool we'll, 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 I'm like, I'm like, just secretly <laughs> no do you get multiple takes yeah as many as you want but that was actually my first take hey professional yeah it's funny enough, the, the actual Hello tune is the first take that I did. It's just all one take. I, I feel like that's just the energy of the tune. Like, it just, yeah. Uh, it's quite like, um, I guess, almost conversational. Yeah. Isn't that? So we're going to go start of life. Okay. <laughs> the first thing I wanted to ask you was where you grew up. Because I thought Brixton. Yeah. But then I read in an interview, West London. So I was like, yeah. oh, is he south? Is he west? It's both. Uh, it's the short answer. I spent the first two years of my life in Brixton. For me, I know it sounds weird, but actually we were quite formative because there was something that was a part of my life during that time that when I left Brixton, I never had again. So for me, like those first two years were really significant in the relationship I had with my biological dad and the area that he came, he came from and my kind of connection to that side of me and that part of my life. So I still feel really strongly attached to Brixton. And, and whenever I went, I don't know, well, obviously it's psychological, but I always felt very emotional whenever I was there because it had this inherent meaning to me. So even though it was a short amount of time, it, it was it's really significant. And then the rest, the rest of my life I was in, I've been in Lover Grove, Westbourne Park. I feel very split. Whenever I'm in South, I'm always like, ah, oh, like this feels like home. And then there are moments when I'm in West and I'm like, oh, oh I have a soft spot for it. Because we're okay. Yeah. yeah, but now you're, you've left both. <laughs> I've left both. I actually, <laughs> to be fair, I, I left as quickly as I could. I left West London as quickly as I could because it's tiny. You kind of, you've done all of your, your exploring by the time you get to being a teenager. Mm. So I left, I went to college in North London and then I moved to East London. So I've been in London. I'm just In the real sensible word of the word, like London is my home. I feel like a Londoner. Yeah. I grew up in Devon. Have you ever been to Devon? <laughs> I have been to Devon. I so, <laughs> West London probably has the population of three times Devon. <laughs> That's yeah. not a fact, people. But, uh, <laughs> <I wouldn't laughs> so when did you start making music? I guess, obviously, there's like a distinction between making and playing. Yeah. Start with casual, like not when you're working, like not professional at all, just... Yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, casually, I would have... The first experience I would have had making music was just like writing bars with friends in, in the park just because it was like grime era. That was the, the music of the time. It was around like Boy in the Corner. Mm. Uh, it was just very, like, that was it. That was that was the sound. So that's the first time I ever wrote lyrics or anything like that. But I'd already been playing sax. I played sax since I was like nine. Okay. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I always thought it was because I was just really cool and I was just cool when I was nine. But my mom told me recently that it's because I like Lisa Simpson. So, <laughs> which I guess is not like not cool, but like that was, I just thought I was sick. I was like, yeah, what, you decided to play sax when you were nine? But 
that's not what happened. <laughs> she was really good as well. <laughs> she was really good. She was a lot better than I was. How far and, did you go on the sax? Like, were you taking grades? Yeah, I still play it up to grade eight. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I play live when I decide I want to. <laughs> <laughs> So when you first started writing bars, and they were like grind bars, what what was the lyrical content like? (laughs) (laughs) What was the lyrical content I was writing when I was 11, 12? Oh my God. I can't even quote it. There's bars I can remember, but you don't don't want to know. Just, (laughs) it wasn't, wait, what's the words? Elegance on the right words. They weren't good. They weren't like, good. They, <laughs> they were good for what they were, but they weren't good. They weren't insightful. There was a lot of girls talk, from what I remember. Girls talk and, yeah, girls talk. Mainly girls talk. But 11 and 12, it was probably just like, girls chasing me or whatever. I don't know what, what the perception of an 11, 12-year-old. Yeah, I'm a bad MC. Girls always chasing me. Always. Like, like. <laughs> yeah. And then how did you go from there? to getting to a place where you wanted to start actually recording things? Again, it was quite casual. One of my friends was a producer, one of the best producers I've ever actually known. I've been really lucky in my life and career, I guess, that I've always been around really talented people. And so I didn't take it for granted, but like it was never like a decision. He just had the equipment to record stuff. It was still super basic, like computer mics and stuff. But that's what we did like for fun. That's, how, that's what we wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, amongst other things. Probably the most constructive. That productive. was a good thing. That's that was nice thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of a London thing as well. Like it's such a creative city that people seem to do creative things in their spare time. So you started, as you say, like it was quite an organic process and you were just working with your friends. And then you decided to put your first EP out. And there was there like a point where you started taking it seriously or was it still just kind of like, yeah, we'll just keep making stuff and see what happens? No, nah, my, my musical history is so long, so I'm going to breeze over, like, a section of it. But uh, it kind of went from me just doing it, like, organically, just because I was chilling with my friends from when I was, like, 11 to 15, 16, mm. going to college and kind of broadening my horizons musically, really. Like, I became really good friends with this guy who was a guitarist, but he was, like, an indie guitarist. And then this other singer who uh, was, like, an R&B pop singer. You might know, uh, her name's Rena Sawayama. And this other guy, we just and we made a band, but it was a really uh, interesting experience. I loved it. I say interesting, like it wasn't fun, it was sick, but that was my first kind of dipping my toe into music and and it as a as an industry. Then I went to uni and uh and Leeds Leeds took over my life. <laughs> you went to Leeds? Yeah, Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. Oh. It, yeah, it took over. All I really cared about was like just the uni experience. Like I still was making music, but I took a massive backseat. But funnily enough, I met the people that I then went on to make music with now. But at the time it was, it definitely, I didn't have the same kind of focus or I wasn't really thinking about it as a career. I just, it's because I'd always done it as reflex. So I just carried on doing it as reflex, but I wasn't putting like lots of time in. I wasn't really pushing myself until towards the end. And then, yeah, and then towards the end of these, I met two producers. One's called Jacob Manson. One's called Fred Gibson. Both of them incredibly talented. Both of them were always going to be in the music industry professionally like they are. Jake was was part of a, a group called Blonde. So that was what he did. So, but he was a producer, but he went into like the kind of, and the artist role as a thing. And then, and then Fred 
continued as a producer and he has gone on to do lots of stuff. He produced all of Ed Sheeran's last album or well, like, like pretty much in lots of, lots of ways. So they both were just doing bits. Yeah. Um, I met both of them at Leeds and over the last however many years, like kind of dipping in and out, I started the process with Fred, carried it on with this guy called Tom and now I'm back with, with Jake, which is amazing. Like it's so nice to be with someone that like I have yeah. that history and we've seen each other's musical journeys and it kind of just clicked at a really important time for me when I, yeah. I really music to click and yeah we just we got in and everything just started to run giving the overview so when we get into stuff like you know why i am i'm like different back and forth <laughs> yeah no the overview is good it's good it's like giving me a sense so so then you actually started making music properly yeah and then what was the process of actually putting your first ep out five eight was your first ep one to four one to four okay yeah, <laughs> good there. yeah. very good how did have four tracks yeah oh it's (laughs) genius no you know what it was uh it's because at the time i made a track with fred which was just it was a tune i really liked it and there was no like idea about follow-up it really wasn't done in a professional sense to be honest it was still very organic like we did all of the things that needed to be done but there was no like overarching plan or like we do this and we do that. It literally, we had the tune. I played it to one of my friends in the room with someone that worked for Noisy at the time. And he was like, oh, in fact, he didn't even work for Noisy. He was like, oh, my friend works for Noisy. Like I could probably get this on a, on the page for you. This is when blogs were still like a thing. Was this when Noisy was first making all of those videos? So they did like, but they made loads of documentaries, like the Snoop Lion one. and Yeah, yeah. Noisy was a, was a thing. Like it was that era of of blogs and and SoundCloud. Like it was it was then, and uh, and literally what that happened was, I said, yeah, right, cool, that sounds good. Didn't have anyone to do PR. I like, didn't really know what PR or press was or anything like that. I was like, cool, just say the tune, gave it to them, and uh, they did an article on it, and it just blew up. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and then everything just snowballed. And what I realized really quickly was. I didn't, like, as much as I love the tune, I didn't actually want that to be my sound. It was a bit of a weird realisation because I had this song that I really liked and it was cool, but it was quite neo-soul. 23, it was true, like, kind of, people were like, oh, it's it's like Frank Ocean and and other stuff. And I was like, it's all all, all great things, but, like, it wasn't really what I wanted because I really felt like there was there was more, I was just, I was experimenting, yeah. which is how one to four came about. Cause I was like, okay, cool. Well, these are just the first four songs that I'm going to release. There was no like EP ideology or thinking behind it. It was literally, yeah. I want to put together a body of work, four songs that I really like. And that's, and that's where that first EP came from. And those are the four. Those it's the weird four. that thing, isn't it? Of, of people wanting to say what you're like to describe yeah. you, but then it yeah. feels a bit boxed in. Definitely. Early stage. As much as I'd love to sing like Frank Ocean, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely don't. I felt like that was too hard, too high of a bar to set for me to like. They'd be like, "All right, cool, like I'm gonna make like an R and B thing," because that's just yeah, it's not. It's true. Not. I always get really confused when people like describe artists that they're working with or representing when they're like, "He's he's sort of like a Kendrick kind of." I'm like, "Don't do that to them." <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> but it's funny. That's a, it's a it's a really UK thing. I think to, uh, it happens in other places, but 
because the industry is smaller, what you find is there's a lot less development time. So if you have a tune that, that does really well, people just latch on and you get all of these things that you probably don't want or need yet in terms of your process and the, the musicality of what you're doing. Some people are like just like that straight away because they have that kind of, I guess, lane that they knew they wanted to fit in. But I think lots of people, and you find it with a lot of like artists that develop over time and get better, like Kendrick as an example, is they have this incubation period before they blow and they get to do it because America's so much bigger that like it starts off bubbling in their town, in their city, then their state. And by the time it goes nationwide, they're pretty established and confident in their sound. Yeah. Whereas you're in the UK and you're from London, like do one tune and everyone's like, ah, oh, mad. And then you have to just, you're playing catch up for the rest of the time. You see it happen all the time with artists. Like they, they'll put out a tune, it'll blow. And then the next two, three tracks, like it kind of feels like they're either doing this a little bit. Mm. And then sometimes, luckily, if they, if they work it out quick enough, they do that again. But like rarely do you find, pop artists obviously are different, but yeah, with, with a lot of independent, kind of more left-leaning UK artists, it's tricky when your track blows. Yeah. But then this is funny because I, I would think that you're, you're lucky if your track blows because I feel like in today's climate, there's so much noise. It's like yeah. one of the hardest things is actually cutting through the noise. So yeah. if you're starting to get a bit of people talking about you, then I would think that's only a good thing, but I hear your point about... Um, yeah, no, it, it, it definitely is. It's just all about timing. Yeah. You, you want people to, to, to clock on when you're right at your, like, pit, like the peak of where you want them to hear you. Yeah, so then you can yeah. go, like, bam, <laughs> just, yeah. like, lay down. That's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly what you want. When did you get signed? Like, what was that process like? That's also what was mad. Like, I literally got signed based off that one track. Uh which, yeah, so then I just got thrown straight in. And, and again, this is something that happens to people. Like, it sounds great. And uh, and if you're working independently as an artist, you want that support. You want the, the backing of being like, okay, cool, let's take it to another level. There are loads of things that are kind of presented to you that seem like they're going to be beneficial. And then you find yourself in a deal and you're like, oh, how? Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, I... I might the first label I sent to was actually in LA. They heard the track. This that's how that's how like much it, it went that people heard about it in LA. Yeah. Um, like he's he's obviously something worth picking up on. Yeah. That must have been weird because I guess that's people having worked creatively with people that you knew really well, and then all of a sudden you've got people coming into the picture who you don't really know and you don't necessarily know what they're about. Yeah. Do you mean the guys in LA? Yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, I think they came over. I'm pretty sure I met them before we, like, locked anything in. And then I went out to LA for a bit, which should have been cool, but I actually hated it. I hated it. That's what I was going to say. Were you like, yeah, making it, living the dream? Yeah, initially I was like, <laughs> Well, I had some cool experiences, definitely, but, like, I didn't, I didn't really like the vibe of it, eh, to be honest. Mm. It wasn't for me. And I think if I went now, because of the space that I'm in musically, I think I would just be like, boom, 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 right, cool. But at the time, I was still very much in like the just the numbers phase of my writing. So like there were really disparate songs that I was coming out with and some of them were cool, but they sounded completely different to the thing I would make the next day. 
And that process actually went on for like four years, maybe. I had enough of them that enough of them were good, <laughs> were good. But like they, uh, but really, it was just a a process of okay, just make music and see what happens and see what you like and see how you feel, which is super indulgent of me. So indulgent. <laughs> it's so indulgent. And I did it for, for, I did it for four solid years. Where I just, like there was one point when I was sessioning nearly every day with a different producer. And this was four, like four days a week. Like it was a proper job. This is when I first signed to Virgin. So after, so after halfway through my deal with the LA label, Things were still like kind of running, but like this other uh, imprint on Virgin were like, oh, we're interested in kind of picking this up. But because the LA label didn't want to let me go. Picking him up. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Pick me up yeah. if you want. <laughs> well, I guess. I'm in LA. I'm just making yeah. music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they were just like, oh, uh, halfway through my deal so so it was then got all like complicated and the thing about deals as well is that they just they're horrible for momentum like they'll just they can just slow down anything that you're doing like and that's what happened initially is that this song started doing well and then I got involved in this label thing and like it was then like four months before anything was followed up with and it was all a little bit yeah it's uh, the industry is tricky there's lots of lots of things to navigate but the the main thing is that during that period of time when I first signed to AMF, I was I was firstly between two labels and two countries and also still wasn't really like settled on what I wanted out of music, who I wanted to be, like what I wanted to say. I was just making it. So that's the five to eight EP, which for me feels a little bit like the lost EP. Not many people know that. Like, <laughs> and there are some truths I know that I love, but like I've got a track on there that's called Try, which is pretty much a ballad and then I've got another track on there called Follow which literally sounds like I made it in a dungeon and uh, it's mad I mean and I like the contrast but it's that was very much like who I was at the time I was running I was like was he a little bit heartbroken when he was writing this Is there some some moods like some feels going on (laughs) always always feels (laughs) always but but yeah so, so that's kind of where I think five to eight is where I consolidated that ended that process even like I I knew that at the end of that EP I was done with doing just songs and just kind of like I was like I want to have a sound like I want to I want to have an identity Mm -hmm. I want like someone to listen to a tune and be like okay cool that sounds like Jelani like um, and and then I did that with follow following the EP it's called Lockjaw um, which to me was yeah it was it was almost like a come in of age a little bit in terms of my sound and not necessarily lyrically. And I think that that's, it it was interesting. I I went sonic, I went sonically and then I went lyrically. I did sonically. I I did Lockjaw. Lockjaw, I felt like sounds like me, like all the way through is consistent. It's still got lots of different vibes going on, but it sounds like me. And then I did Average Joe the following year. I feel like your sound is very unique. It's not like, I wouldn't really know like how to, like, how would you describe your sound? Would you be able to? I don't know. I can, but like, I, I would, if I, if I could avoid that, I would. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I don't think like many artists love like to describe their sound too much. Like some do. I mean, like if you're a drill artist, they're going to be like, yeah, I'm a drill. Or like if you're a pop singer or an R&B thing. But I feel like if you're a rapper, especially nowadays, I was working as well for a period of time when, being a rapper and a singer weren't as easily accepted as the same thing. Like you had to say one or the other. 
day rapper, like people wouldn't be surprised if you sung on the tune, like if something like, but I feel like when I first had to start making distinct distinctions and I, you know, I, fucking, <laughs> I last year, at the end of last year, I had a proper moment because they put me on the cover of Rap UK on the Spotify playlist. I was like, fuck yeah. So I don't have to call me a singer anymore. Fucking hell. Like I went for like three years of being, um, of being like, so are you a singer or are you a rapper? I'm like, does it matter? <laughs> music was, was why, why are you so interested in which one I am but yeah but now now I just say rapper yeah and I sing then I sing but it's uh, I feel like it all fits in the so same people place. are like oh he's sung on this and you're like this yeah <laughs> it's well what I don't even know what's when I drop whip out the sex but, uh, <laughs> yeah that would be quite a lot for your process. breath oh yeah yeah no I mean as a performer it might be quite quite a challenge but if you're up yeah. for it <laughs> so when you're doing all this recording what's the label paying your studio time do you know what from the time that I made music as a 12 year old with my friends to now I've never paid for an hour of studio time oh my I'm god like, I know it's insane but like I just I again I've, I've just been lucky because I've been because it was always organic and it was never like oh let's get into like a session to like record stuff it was always just me chilling with friends or like I don't know, it just, it just felt very natural. It wasn't like a, okay, cool, you're going to come in and pay X amount. Studios, studios so expensive. Yeah. They put yeah. me in one. They, in fact, tell a lie. They put me in studio once. Universal put me in once. And it was so expensive, man. Like, mad. Yeah. Mad. Well, that's why there's loads of studios now opening up, like Pirate and stuff, that are so much cheaper. And they're so good. Such, I think it's so good. Yeah. It just, like, democratises the process. So when you were working that time, like when you were working on Lockjaw, as you say, when you really like got comfortable with your sounds and in a good space, were you working with the same producers throughout that process to like establish that sound? It was, I was working with one guy specifically, this guy called Tom. I call him Staff. He's Staff Music, like, but... It's uh, kicking you know it off in your house. I was working with Staff. <laughs> a lot. Uh, I actually worked with him the most or during that period of time. So there was like a, I feel like we, we supported each other really. Like we developed each other. He was kind of starting out in terms of production. I was definitely at a point when I just needed one person to be with. Cause that's what, that's what I feel like all the best rappers have like a really strong relationship with a producer. Mm. Sometimes, yeah, people that can just like jump on beats but I feel like that's after they have found a kind of sound through working with one person and I think I, I started that but then didn't finish it with Fred but then I started working with staff and I really had the time to like dig in I was I stopped going to like four different sessions a week I just I was just seeing him really and like kind of working out what what things wanted to sound like it's uh, sweet because it's like all the language is like we were just seeing each other <laughs> so many times a week Working that is my, honestly, that's my, <laughs> there's a really like emotional relationship because well, as you, as you would imagine, mm. it's music, it's creating stuff. So like some of the times, like, yeah, thinking back, it is kind of magic what you end up experiencing with the person that you make that music with. Lots of the time it's just you and them. So like when you're getting excited, you're excited together and then you go away you're like it's set I, I love I, I'm so grateful and I'm so uh, I just have a lot of love for the people that I've ever worked with there are a few there's, a, there's another producer called Quez Darko who uh, 
who again sick went on he produced a slow tie that uh again i was just really lucky to to work with and he actually is someone who always had that little element that i was missing and and it took it took a lot i guess i'm complex but like it took a lot of different people and moments for me to kind of crystallize what it was and then it went from lockjaw where the sound was right to then having a really if i'm honest bad experience with the label that i was with where like definitely don't need to get into it but like i was deeply deeply unhappy to the point where like i just i couldn't really make music i was crippled mm. I, i was angry just yeah it was bad like consistently all the time as well and uh, i just quite and struggling quite a lot and then i i found my way out basically <laughs> and um and when i found my way out jake was there yeah he was there and i was just and he obviously had had during this period of time had his own experiences in the industry so like and we'd met each other before we either of us had gone in so like it was then nice to come out to kind of be out the other side and be like yo and then uh and then yeah literally the energy that i had then i was feeling uh, reinvigorated and and we wrote nobody son which is the tune which kind of just made everything run like it, for me that was my that was what i wanted out of 20 to 3 really like that's what that's what it should have been but you don't get to choose that nobody son was was my like okay cool and that was march last year mm-hmm. and then pretty much from then like it's just been non-stop every for me personally like i've been growing as an artist lyrically musically the energy and momentum has been building since then and i feel like that was it was like it was like a reset basically and i put out the ep that yeah that is my favorite ep which is average joe i put that out at the end of last year and that there was a lot in it that, that i'd never managed to say before like yeah. certain they is being stripped back and i was just like okay well like cool there's there is there is something to say there is there is a reason to be doing this mm. yeah that's lovely thanks for sharing that with me <laughs> with all of us i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, 
it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. When you were, you might not want to talk about it too much. So obviously don't, if you don't want to. When you were in that situation where you were trying to leave the label, do you think it was mutual that like you weren't happy? Do you think they were also like, nah, this isn't working? Yeah, if if it wasn't mutual, I wouldn't have been able to get out like I did. (laughs) Because uh, that's how labels work. They'll keep you even if you hate them, if they feel like it's they weird. can. Yeah. yeah. But like, it wasn't easy. It was still definitely the case that like, I had to kind of really, really confirm that that's what I wanted. There was no way around it. I just needed to be out of that situation. Uh, I knew that as like, as a fact. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the easiest to, it wasn't the easiest to do. But yeah, but, do you know what? I, I, I have no bad blood. I, uh, I, there's no, um, I don't resent anyone, especially no one individually. I feel that about life in general, to be honest. Like people are usually just, even individuals are usually just caught in either situations or experiences. That's how, that's how people grow and, and build. No one was a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was saying that to someone the other day and they were like, no, I think some people are still cunts. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe but some. I, I, I don't, dis- I don't disagree. I'm just saying in that specific situation that no one was. But also, like, generally, like, those people that are, because some people are just kind of right. But uh, when those <laughs> when those people are, it's really fun. Actually, no, I'll give you a great example. So yesterday, I went to the seaside with my mum, which was, like, it was really nice. It was so, like, it was just a really nice day. Hey, this is, like, Pebble Beach? Or it was Broadstairs. I haven't ever been. Yeah, neither, neither of I, but it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, everyone goes. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was mad because I went and firstly, someone recognised me, which was wild because it was Broadstairs. Like, and he's like, oh, like, I saw your colours. I was like, yeah, and I asked to take a photo. Um, and then I saw, you know, Chicken Shop date, you know, Amelia? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I saw her, but she went to my college. I was like, what the fuck are you doing here? He's like, <laughs> Came down for the day. I was like, "What well, are you doing?" Broad- yeah. Like Broadstairs is just just lit, bro. Where's that? Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's just bubbling. But sorry, tangent. I was there and um, bumped into this guy. I didn't bump into him. He fucking cornered us, me and my mum, and was just just ruthlessly insistent on having this conversation with us that we clearly didn't want to have. Okay. And like, he was it was annoying, and uh, and I could see my mum was getting annoyed. I kind of, uh, I, I was annoyed, but not that annoyed. But it was, it, he wasn't letting us go. And then we tried to like move and get away and he was just doing this weird back and forth. And then we were like, okay, we're going to go that way. And he's like, oh yeah, it's just so, so. Said something about his wife and how he lost her last year. And it's so funny how just all of a sudden, like someone can say one sentence and it just reframes everything that was annoying about what they were doing. Or every, not that you didn't understand, like it wasn't the end of the world, but like it just can just suddenly be like oh okay you're annoying but you but you're lonely and like you lost your wife last year you've probably just gone through a, a 
crazy four months of having no one around in isolation and lockdown. So yeah, it's kind of inconsiderate that you are cornering us to have a conversation, but maybe you could be forgiven. But yeah, but I feel that that's the case with a lot of people that can't surround the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's all, Some of them are just dickheads. And, and, I, I, and that's, I, I've known that from a very young age. Some people just are. But no, you're right. A lot of the time, if it's like an interaction that you have, yeah, you shouldn't presume because you don't know what their day's been like. Yeah. I do believe that if people are causing you grief, it's often because they are grieving or they're de- dealing with pain themselves in some way. Yeah. Okay, so in your interview with Clash, yeah, one of the things you said was the the best thing I can tell you about music is don't overcomplicate it. Mm-hmm. Is that like a nice kind of like recent reflection or learning? Like, do you think you used to stress out about music more? Yeah, well, worst, way, way, because it's it's just in my nature to overanalyze stuff anyway. So combine that with I think a lot of other stuff that was going on and the way that I was making music because as I said like I never stressed about music at all it was always second nature to me I'd always just made it and it always just seemed to be fine mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it changed in an instant it changed as soon as that I don't know what point you would say it but as soon as Noisy posted that thing music became something different to me and I think probably the easiest way for me to describe that, or sorry, the easiest way for me to um, explain from where I am, where I was then to now, is that I think that this process has just been me trying to find my way back to what music was to me initially. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to find your way out of something once you're in it. So I think pretty much it was, I did, and I didn't know, and I, I had no idea what was going on. So like from when that noisy thing happened to... I would say nobody's son where it was like just catharsis and just like a release. It was just like, fuck this. Like, I've just, uh, this is what I've been doing my whole life. I don't understand why I've been thinking about it so much. Mm. And it just re and it just, it reset me. It was a click, but that whole period of time uh, was, was me trying to find that again. It was horrible. I, I hated it. I hated, I hated the feeling of something that was so simple to me being so complicated and convoluted and, that's stressful, really, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really, made me really unhappy making music for a long time. Yeah, that's not not the way it should be. No. Okay, so is it? Are you back in a space now where like music is the thing you do for fun? If you know yeah. what I mean. That's yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What else do you do for fun? Uh, oh. <laughs> that's like a question that um, <laughs> I don't even know why. <laughs> Who phrases stuff like that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, and, and who could legitimately answer it <laughs> on a public podcast? Huh? <laughs> like, it's a... Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah, watch football and just hang out with your mates. <laughs> Watching Netflix. Do you actually watch uh, Netflix? Uh, no, I'm being sarcastic. I, uh, <laughs> I, um, I do watch Netflix, but that's not what I do for fun. <laughs> I do that to fill in the gaps in between <laughs> what right. I do for music <laughs> I do love films though. films are my f- controversial but I, I may love films nah not more there doesn't have to be a competition I do really love films though and it's been it's been like my love for as long as music has been I just love the escapism and everything about it like I, I don't ever feel happier than 
when a film is about to start that I've really wanted to watch. Really? Never. Yeah, that's my happiest moment. My, like, the thing that really stresses me out about films, I can never pick one. Yeah. I have to be, like, given the film or, like, told what we're going to see or, like, what the thing is. Otherwise, I'll spend half an hour looking at trailers and then I'll be like, oh, it's bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I hear this a lot from people. It is difficult, though, especially now because there's so many options. Right. Like, like they, um, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like they've made it any easier. I was like, do you know what was one of the my uh, demons is that I was just so indecisive, so indecisive. So I just found it really hard when I was complicating music to like land on a decision, especially because I felt like I could do different things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In that situation, did you have people, do you tend to trust other people's opinions? Uh, I, don't, I don't think I do. I think I like have to know for myself, but. Yeah. Well, I think what was... Uh, probably again, some kind of like level of cognitive dissonance was that I don't trust anyone, but I'm very willing to open, sorry, I'm very open to hearing what other people have to say. Mm-hmm. I trust more people now, like, but it takes a while. I've like, just the experiences in life have kind of made me feel like I don't want to do that. So it takes a lot for me to trust someone. But if I do, then like I really do. Yeah, I feel like that was that was tricky for me because I was really open to being like, oh, well, you think this and you think that. And all right. But at the same time, I didn't really have faith in their direction or, or ideas. Mm-hmm. So what was I ended up in like a middle ground a lot of the time where I was listening to people, but like not agreeing or like doing it because I wasn't 100% sure about what I wanted to do. Right. But really trusting what they wanted to do. Yeah. So wasn't that, wasn't that helpful? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. It wasn't. <laughs> but we live and we learn. <laughs> we do. Do you know what? Like, and that's the only thing you can do, isn't it? Like, you have to, uh, we move. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the only thing I can say. Absolutely. Just it's, part, it's just all part of evolution, isn't it? It's like your evolution as an artist and a person. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. In terms of, like, my mum as well, just to touch on it, I evolved a lot during that period of time in terms of my relationship with my mom, which has been really, really nice and, like, great. But, like, I feel like that was the final thing of me being, like, an only child and her being an only child and us coming from, like, being very individual but, like, needing to find our own lanes to be able to be together and and be, yeah. That also has happened. A tumultuous time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's nice when... You come out of those periods of time, though, and you know good things come from it. You like know why you needed to go through it. It's the best. It's I would like. I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade it. No. I wouldn't trade it. Easy life, boring. Man. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Okay, so uh, this is on my mind because I watched this Netflix documentary. Have you seen the social, the social commentary, or the social di- social dilemma? No. Okay, it's called The Social Dilemma and it's basically a documentary about social media and how like they're sort of like manipulating us, kind of like the Cambridge Analytica Trump scandal, but it just goes deep into it. Because in P2P you had that little clip. I was just going to ask about your relationship with like the internet and social media, force for good or pain in the ass. Like, what do you think? Ooh, ooh, ooh. (laughs) Um... It's a complex one. Do you know what? This might not answer your question, but this is how I feel about everything at the moment. 
Because if I, the reason I'm answering it like this is because I literally couldn't, I couldn't condense how I feel about social media without spilling over into so many other elements of the world at the moment that it wouldn't do it justice. So I'm just not going to like touch it as a thing specifically. But what I will say is that it feels like at the moment, lots of things in the world are a reflection of human nature more so than the thing itself. And that goes from government to social media to race, politics, gender. Uh, all of those things, to me, speak more about the internal battle that we are having because what it means to be human now is so different to what we are capable and uh, have been conditioned to deal with, that those things are almost symptomatic of what we're going through as opposed to social media being like a force for good or a force for evil. Like social media is whatever we're going to be. So until we work out what we're going to be, it doesn't, it's, it's kind of irrelevant what social media is. And the same, same to go, same goes with politics and yeah, and, and everything else that you look that I feel like are global issues at the moment. That's a, that's, that's how I feel. <laughs> I agree, actually. But then maybe like hum- humans, we need reining in a bit. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, <laughs> I think we've crossed the thresholds of, of where we're at in terms of like humanity and where, where we're going to end up because there are too many factors now that, that are out of our control that we actually, it's kind of like being on a chessboard and, and with a grandmaster and the pieces are already set. I'm not saying anyone's controlling it. I'm just saying that we are, we're already, way, we're like six moves ahead of something that is inevitable, I feel. Okay, quick questions. Yeah. Well, I say quick. I'm not very good at quick questions. Best, <laughs> best piece of career advice you've received? Oh, it has to come from you. A lyric that's meant a lot to you. You know what? This is just because this is the most recent lyric that I like. It, it's, it's to not, make the new stuff. <laughs> it's not even that meaningful, but it's just sick. And it just reminds me of like what I would have loved to have had as a bar when I was younger again. Like this is like going back to it. But the bar is... Um, it's in the forward move of Rash like Marcus, pitch black with a kickback, get cleared. So it's, all right, how I break it down. So it's only two lines, but there's so much in it. So Marcus Rashford is a football player. Yeah, and him. Yeah, like usually, so that's the one, that's the one thing. On the other side, there's like what people do when they go on out, basically on shootings and stuff. And like, a common car, like Ford's, Fours are like a common car, so are like it's at night time and like Clyde being sh- shooting, uh, guns have kickbacks on them. But like if you break it down, it's uh, in the Fords moving rash like Marcus, pitch black with the kickback, get Clyde. I just, I love it. It's just uh, <laughs> that's my favorite lyric at the moment. Nice. Yeah. I was gonna ask, when are you the happiest? But you did already say just before a film starts. Yeah. Or when I'm about to get on stage. Those 2021. Two. Yeah, I know, man. Before you get on stage rather than after? Afterwards, I'm sad that it's over. I want to go again. And finally, I was, no, okay, two more things. One, what do you look for in people close to you? Like, what qualities do you really cherish? I have to, like, the people that I know are quite different. So, like, this sounds really vague, but just energy. Like, I'm so... I've, from a really young age, because I am an only child, like all the people that I've had around me are just like 
family, like people that I choose to be around me are, yeah, fans. So I, I read off energy. I'm really good at working out people that I want around me and people that I don't. So yeah, there's nothing specifically. I know some terrible people that I love. So like, yeah, but they have good energy and like they have good hearts. So that's uh, that's what I like. Good hearts. That's 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 what I look for. Okay. And is there one song that you listen to? I haven't really asked too much about your musical influences. I'm just going to ask this. <laughs> what song? Is there one song that you listen to or like one artist you listen to that people just wouldn't expect at all? Mm-hmm. I like Simon and Garfunkel. I, I'm glad that you didn't ask me any of that. I find that so I find that stuff boring. <laughs> uh, um, it's uh, everybody ha- like everybody's musical influences are kind of like I don't know, especially if you're from London. You just listen to stuff. I think yeah, most people. Quite, grew up. Yeah, there are certain people who everyone says Simon Garfunkel is new. There you go. And finally, yeah. what's next? Like, what's what's on the horizon? Obviously, weird time. There's loads. I'm really excited to be honest. I'm just, I'm actually thinking like, what can I say and what can't I say? There's, yeah. there's a, so just keep your eyes out. Go and follow, go listen to the, tr- the track I got out at the moment called Hello. There's still more stuff around that coming. And there's some other things I can't say. <laughs> good stuff's and, coming. But good what, stuff is coming. What are yeah. your favorite, like, what are your favorite handles to share stuff? Are you sharing on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all of yeah, the above? Yeah. I'm active. He's active. Jelani Blackman. Jelani, thanks so much for giving us your time and sharing your musical journey. It was good. It was fun. It was fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Bye. What up, let's- Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.